Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Dr. Chris Cook, as he comes up here and he ministers to us today. Come on. Come on. Chris, we love you. We're so glad that you're here. You've been a blessing so far, you and your family. Gosh, we're so fortunate today. It's all yours, man. Take your time. God bless you. Well, I feel very privileged to be allowed to be speaking from the platform today. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In the plains of the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya, in the heat of the day, a group of villagers were walking and came across a baby elephant that had been abandoned, just, they could tell, just a few hours ago, just a few hours prior. And this little elephant was just struggling. Couldn't, couldn't hardly move, had no way to feed itself, They weren't able to figure out what had happened to the mother, why this little elephant had been abandoned. But they knew that if they didn't do something quickly, that this little baby elephant was going to be, his life was going to be forfeit. And so they got together and they found a way to transport, to to get that little baby elephant up. I mean, little, you know, it's still an elephant. So, you know, it took some, it took some doing But they were able to get it up and they took it over to a nearby elephant sanctuary where there were caretakers there who worked with just such creatures who had been either abandoned or orphaned or neglected and they would try to restore these creatures and bring them back to health and then release them into the wild. And so they brought this little baby elephant in and it was touch and go there for a little bit, but... They gave him a name, Indato, Indato, and they fed him, and they nurtured him, and pretty soon, Indato was drinking like four pints of milk every three hours in order to grow, so the little bottles, you know, that you give to the newborn, like, uh, like we heard about this morning, that 10-pounder, even that guy's small compared to Indato and, and the, um, the milk consumption that Indato had. But he began to grow and he began to get well and he began to physically recover. They never figured out why Indato had been orphaned, why Indato had been abandoned. But he became strong and healthy, healthy enough during playtime to start pushing the caretakers around the yard when he wanted to play with them. And he would kind of grab their arms and pull them along and then push them with, their, with his head. And it seemed like things were going well for Anato, but a new challenge arose. 
And that new challenge was that because Ndata had been abandoned by the other elephants and nurtured and raised by human caretakers, Ndata began to show a preference for humans and a rejection of elephants. And if he was just going to stay there in the sanctuary, I guess that would have been okay. But the goal is to release him back into the wild. And the caretakers knew that if they released Ndato into the wild while he was attached to the human caretakers without bonding with the other element, elephants, then Ndato would actually be at risk of perishing from loneliness. Loneliness. The stress of being alone, not in that connected community, could be fatal. And Ndato, the orphan elephant, is not all that different from you and me. Did you know that there is currently an epidemic of loneliness in the United States? Over one-third of people in the United States report feeling serious loneliness. One-third. Now, this epidemic has been building for a long time. Of course, the COVID outbreak made things much worse. And we know there's all kinds of health-related problems. Some um, scientists have estimated that living in chronic loneliness is as dangerous to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. (laughs) Wow. Wow. This is a serious issue. And people do all kinds of things to try to cure their loneliness. One psychologist that I read, he said that he thinks that the pet rock phase that came up in 1975, he thinks in part that was an effort for people to cure their loneliness. That guy sold 1.5 million pet rocks that year. 1.5 million, he became a millionaire in the process. Can you believe that? For $4 a pop. (laughs) Think about some, I was thinking about some other things like Chia Pets. Like maybe that's an extension of that. You know, 15 million Chia Pets were sold in 2019. 15 million. And then of course people also turn to real pets, right? Have you seen these folks who like will carry their little dog around in a little basket on their arm or push them around in strollers. They call them their fur babies. And, you know, I've got some good friends who have fur babies, so I can't be too critical. But this, these are efforts to cure one's loneliness. And we know that people have felt lonely for some time. Last week, Pastor Robert started a new series, started this series by talking about what the church is, how the church is a who and not a what. You heard about how the church is the body of Christ, composed of God's New Testament covenant people. That's us, right? We are God's New Testament covenant people. We are the church. We're not in the church. We are the church, right? And so that means that anytime God's people are gathered together, the church is there. At large group gatherings, the church is there, Sunday mornings. 
at mid-sized gatherings, your Bible studies, your home groups, the church is there. At small gatherings, connect groups, two or three people just getting together in Christ for coffee or a meal, the church is there. And so when I talk about the church this morning, I want to remind you that the church is the gathering place. So we're going to talk this morning about the gathering place, the church, where people come together. And I want to tell you, people are looking for the gathering place. People are looking for it. They want to join because the gathering place is a place where you should be able to find community and connection and relationship. Community and connection and relationship. And if one out of three Americans is suffering from serious loneliness, you cannot tell me that these people do not want community and connection and relationship. And it can be found in the gathering place. But here's the thing. Joining the gathering place actually can be difficult. Joining the gathering place can be difficult. Now I say joining, not finding. You can find the gathering place anywhere. There's churches all over the place. This nation is filled with churches. Especially in this part of the country, right? Right in the Bible Belt. There's a church everywhere. You can't throw a rock without hitting a church and it'll bounce off that church and hit another church before it lands. There's churches everywhere. They're easy to find, but they're not so easy to join. And I make this distinction because I think it's very important. Just because you're at the gathering place, even today, just because you're at the gathering place doesn't mean you've joined it. What I'm talking about is the difference between just being somewhere and really being present and engaged somewhere, right? Those are different things. So think about this. Here's a few, a few examples. Somebody who goes to a football game, they get their tickets, they're right down there, row five, 50-yard line. They're there, they're jumping and screaming, they're yelling. Every time the, the kickoff happens, every time somebody makes a first down, every awful call that the refs make, every awesome catch, they're there, they're in it, they're knocking people's popcorn over because they're cheering and yelling and they're getting up and whooping. That guy is there at the game, right? And then you have the other guy who's up by the concession stand and he can't get off his phone, checking work emails, taking work phone calls, has no idea what the score is, not hanging out with any of his friends. Is he there? Yeah, he's there. But he's not there. Right? He's not joined in that experience. Or the difference between the couple who's out on the date, and even though they've been married 25 years, they still can look into each other's eyes, learn something about each other, laugh at stupid jokes, eat off of each other's plates, right? Hey, Pastor Robert. <laughs> Enjoy each other. Be there. Be connected. And that's different from the couple right at the next table. They're not talking. His mind is already racing ahead to the rest of the night or work tomorrow. She can't get off social media 
long enough to order appetizers, much less string two sentences together. Are they there? I mean, they're there, but they're not really there. They're not engaged. They're not present. They might as well be have him on Mars and her on Venus, like that book used to talk about, because they're not there. They're not together. They're not engaged. And this kind of thing happens all the time, doesn't it? When you're talking to somebody and you can tell that they're not really listening, they're not really with you, or you're the one that's not really listening or not really with the other person who's talking to you. My wife, God bless her, she is so patient with me. We'll be talking, riding in the car or something, and I'll be telling her about something, explaining something to her, and I'll stop sometimes. In the middle of a sentence, I'll stop, and I am just off somewhere else on another planet. And then a few minutes goes by and I'll say, oh, so anyway, and she just gives me the chance to pick right back up and reconnect. She's so gracious. (laughs) And so when we talk about joining the gathering place, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about just showing up at the church building for a meeting. We're talking about being able to become part of the community to connect, to find a place where you feel connected to others and others feel connected to you. And that is a place where you should be able to have rich, meaningful relationships with people. And that can be hard. That can be hard. There's a lot of reasons why joining the gathering place might be difficult. A lot of different reasons. It could be that some people just actually don't really know where to look. They're not sure how to spot a place that they're able to connect to when they see it. Some people, they aren't aware of themselves. They don't even realize that they're disconnected. Sometimes loneliness or disconnection or isolation can be just this underlying low-level stressor You're not really sure quite what it is. Some people don't know how to join. They don't know how to actually do the work of connecting with another person. And some people have been hurt. Hurt by their friends or their family. Even hurt by pastors or the church. Other church members. And so the thought of going and really joining another church when they've been in a place before where they were so damaged. That's just too scary. So there's a lot of reasons, but there's these two things that I've recognized that kind of keep people at a distance, keep people from connecting, keep people from joining. One is that the place that they want to join or they're thinking about joining isn't safe. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where the place that we want to join, the place that we want to be connected to, it's not really a a safe place. The leader, now I mean, look, this could be the church. We're talking about the church, so I put it in a church context. But it could also be a community that you live in or a group of friends, a weekly group that you go to. But... The people there can be controlling or manipulative or domineering or thoughtless or careless. 
or self-centered. And with people like that, particularly if they're in leadership, that's a hard place to join and feel connected to and cared for. Now, fortunately, I've spent time with your pastor. You don't have a pastor like that. This is a man that cares deeply for everyone in this congregation. But some people come from places that haven't been as good to their people as your pastor is. And so it's not safe or the place feels unsafe. And the second thing is that some people, for some people, every place feels unsafe because of where they come from. It's hard to really find any place of safety. So they, people like this may come to a church just like this one. They may come here to Lakeshore Gastonia and not feel safe, even though it's safe here. And so we would want to pray for these individuals and create a context that is safe and caring and open and receptive so that when God does heal them, when God does draw them in, they have a community ready to embrace them. And so when we think about the gathering place, we want to think about it in this context of how can we create this atmosphere where people can come and be safe and be vulnerable and open and be encouraged to grow and develop and connect to have these rich experiences of community. That's the gathering place. And there's three things. There's three things that we would want to say about the gathering place that that facilitates this and also teaches us what we're doing here in the gathering place. Now, there's, there's more than three things that happen in church, right? But I want to focus in on these three things. So first of all, number one, in the gathering place, we worship corporately. In the gathering place, we worship corporately. Now, worship is an expression of reverence and adoration towards God. And you know what? We can do this uh, anywhere, right? You can do it in your car. You can do it in the shower. I mean, shower's probably one of the best places. You know, you got good acoustics in there. Nobody's going to criticize your singing while you're in the shower, right? It seems like worship is a place that, a thing that can be done in isolation. But in reality, Scripture often calls us to worship corporately and cooperatively. Listen to Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Come, let us sing a corporate call to worship together to extol him. Let us dance. Let us praise. Let us be together. It's a call to come together, to forsake our isolation, the extreme individualism that we're in love with in this culture, and to come together and worship. 
And we see here that worship is cooperative. Have you thought about this? Worship is cooperative. I got a really good lesson about the cooperative nature of worship. Preparing for today. I don't know. It's been 13 years since I've done something like this on a stage. Thank you, Pastor. (laughs) So I I was nervous coming in. And I've never done this with my boys. And my, my, my wife and I used to do this all together, uh, all the time, when we pastored all those years ago. But we were practicing, and boy, I tell you what, it took like a microsecond for me to realize, no, worship is cooperative. Because if you're not cooperating, if you're not feeling each other, if you're not connecting, man, it's a train wreck. It can be a real train wreck. And there were times my wife... Again, demonstrating some of her patience. She says, okay, guys, we need, to, we, we need to take that again from the top. And before she can even get the words out of her mouth, Kay's over here playing Tom Sawyer by Rush. And Caspian's over here playing some other drum line that we're not even practicing. We were not cooperative. Not at all. But we realized that we needed to be together. And that, isn't that true even just in here? We're singing together. Your voice matters. It makes a difference. It changes the blend. It fills the, the room. We can't do this on our own just from the stage. It's not a solo act. A solo act isn't worship. It's performance. That's different. So it is a, a, a call to come together corporately but it's also a place where we're called to vulnerability listen to the rest of that chapter from Psalms Psalm 95 come let us bow down in worship let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care. Let us bow, let us kneel. We're people under his care. This is a public acknowledgement that we are dependent on him. That we are weak. We're saying in the presence of our peers, our community, I need God. I can't do this on my own. We come before you, Lord. And it's the admission that there's one greater than us. The admission publicly and together. And that requires vulnerability. It requires being open, being willing to take a risk. So corporate worship draws us into this vulnerable vulnerable place of corporate, um, into this place of corporate interdependence. We're here together. And in the gathering place, we worship corporately. Number two, in the gathering place, we minister to one another. One of my favorite jokes when I was a pastor was when somebody would come up and say, oh, you pastors got it easy. You guys only work one day a week. Not really. I hated that joke. Um, You know, all the time people would say that. 
And what I wanted to say actually to them was, actually, you know, putting up with you is a full-time job. I mean, in the most loving way possible, I wanted to say that, the most loving way possible. There's a lot of misconception about pastoral ministry, and one of the misconceptions is this very thing that derives from the term pastoral ministry, and that's the misconception that the pastors are the ones who are supposed to be doing all the ministry. And the Bible doesn't actually teach that. What the Bible teaches is that the pastors are there to train the people to do ministry. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Christ gave those to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. Christ gave Pastor Robert to you so that Pastor Robert can teach you and equip you to do works of service in ministry. That's what the pastor's doing, supposed to be doing. And there's not just that verse. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, use whatever gift you have received as a gift to others. We're supposed to be doing this together. And so when we think about ministry, it's supposed to be the body of Christ ministering to, uh, to each other. You pray to each, pray to each, you don't pray to each other. You pray for each other. You pray for each other. You encourage one another. You give words of strengthening and encouragement. And here we go again. What does that require? It requires presence. And openness or vulnerability. You can't get prayer unless you're willing to tell someone what you need. That's a risk. Because some people will take your needs and they'll use them against you, or they'll just gossip. But it's an invitation to presence, ministry, um, the gathering place as a place of ministry is an invitation to presence, to be with each other, listen, care for, direct one's attention to, encourage, all that is presence. You got to really be with the person and an invitation to vulnerability. We have to make ourselves known and let others, we have to make ourselves known to others and let others make themselves known to us in order to minister well. And that requires defenselessness. Mm. Defenselessness. The mental picture I have here, you remember... Um, you know, some of these movies like from the Middle Ages in uh, you know, Europe and England, that kind of era, you have the knights, right? They're wearing that full armor, the steel plates. You know, it looks like, it, looks like there's no way to, to pierce through that armor. But sometimes in battle, 
they do get wounded. They might fall off the horse. I'd like to see somebody try to get up, falling off the horse with 100 pounds of steel plates strapped all over their body. Or they get, you know, cut right in a seam or something like that. And what happens after the battle? Well, they got to go someplace safe and take the armor off, right? What happens if you get cut or wounded under all that armor and you don't take the armor off? Your wounds fester and rot. You can't heal. So you got to go someplace safe where you can get the armor stripped away. And you know the person that's with you isn't going to stab you in the back. And that's when you can get healing. That's what ministry is. That's what ministry is. In the gathering place, we minister to one another. And finally, in the gathering place, we come into agreement. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, I like this next part. You'll see why in just a second. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, down, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. When brothers dwell together in unity. Don't let the language put you off. It's sisters too. It's brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. Now, this is a tough one sometimes because we wonder what it means to come into agreement. There are places where agreement means everybody comes in lockstep under the leader. No dissent, no difference of opinion. Let me tell you, that is not, brothers and sisters, the unity of God. You don't have to lose your identity, yourself, your thoughts, your ideas, your feelings. They matter. They may not run the train or run the whole show, but they matter. And if you're getting squished for the sake of the ministry or God's call, that's not the kind of unity that we're talking about. Agreement is actually an invitation to engage in conflict. Now, before you, before you get too... Before, before you get too, uh, too, too upset about that, just, just listen for a second. One of the things that I do uh, regularly is I do marriage counseling, couples work. And one of the things that I learned very early on in this process is that when couples are right on the verge of separating, there will often be no conflict. None. Do you know Why? Because someone doesn't care enough to fight anymore. They've been so squished. They've been so beaten down by the process. 
I just won't even engage anymore. I don't care. It's too much work. It's a headache. But you know who does fight, often vigorously? Not all of them, but many very satisfied married couples fight. It's not the conflict that's the problem. It's how they do it and whether they make up. Conflict is actually a sign of health because that means everybody's engaged and everybody has a voice, right? And so it's an invitation to engage, hear me now, in healthy conflict, healthy conflict, right? An invitation to be known by others. And it is an invitation to a shared mission, purpose, and meaning. The gathering place is a place where we come into agreement. We have shared meaning, shared purpose, a shared sense of calling and direction. And we're in it together. We're moving together in the same direction. We're going to have a little offshoots. We're going to have a little disagreements. That's all good. That's all fine. One of the four square mottos is the phrase, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And so we want to be together in the essentials. We want to allow for liberty and those things that are non-essential. Let me give you a little heads up here. Most things are non-essential. Most things. The vast majority of things. And in everything we do, that we do it in love. That we do it in charity. That's how you have good community and agreement. The gathering place is a place where we come to agreement. And Dotto's story has a happy ending. I'm going to bring this back around. Did you think I was just going to leave you there? The elephant, yeah. The caretakers, they took him out to this place. You know, remember, he, he was uh, at risk of perishing from loneliness, not being able to connect. So the caretakers took him out to this place where some of the older orphans roamed. They were on their way, uh, they were in the process of being reacclimated in the wild. And so they took him to this place, hoping that those elephants would come and Ndato would be able to connect with some of the elephants there. And at first, Ndato ran from the older orphans. Uh, in fact, he, for more than an hour, every time one of the older orphans would come up, he'd try to go and find the human caretakers. But then a breakthrough happened. One of the older elephants, a girl named Mbegu, Ndato and Mbegu, she, she was allowed finally by Ndato to come close. And Mbegu, they realized, had been through almost the exact same abandonment that Ndato had been through. Somehow they could sense that about each other. 
and Dotto let her come close. And they felt each other with the trunks, you know. That's how they get to know each other. They feel each other with that little, <laughs> that little, the trunk. He let her get close and they began to get comfortable with each other and his stress started to diminish. And they began to learn each other about each other through touch. And Mbegu began to teach Ndato things that he had not learned before because there was no elephant there to, to teach him. So like how to reach down and pick out the choicest pieces of grass and wrap the trunk around and pull those pieces up. Things like that. And Ndato, and Ndato started to join the herd. He met at and joined in the gathering place. So I would encourage you this morning to join in the gathering place and maybe to invite some other people in. Maybe you haven't been fully invested in the gathering place. Maybe you've had a hard time being vulnerable, being open, letting others in, being connected. But this is your opportunity to take a risk. It is safe here. Maybe you know somebody else, someone who's isolated or disconnected or lonely and defensive, and they need an invitation. These are simple, simple, easy ways. Hey, you know, at church Sunday, there was this crazy wild-haired guy up on stage, and he was talking about connection, and I thought about you and I just want you to know that if you want a place to be connected, you're welcome with us. Here's a card. Come whenever you want. Easy. Easy. It might only take an invitation card or a kind word to call them in and join the gathering place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here in this place. We thank you that we do have a place that is safe, that we can gather, that we can partner, that we can join. Lord, we understand no place is, is completely 100% safe, not in this world. But it's safe enough here to be in community that the frictions that we have can be worked through. The conflict can be worked through and we can come to a place of real connection with one another. A place where we worship corporately, where we minister to one another and a place where we gather in agreement with common purpose and common mission and common meaning, Father. Thank you so much for creating the gathering place here at Lakeshore in Gastonia. What a privilege to be part of this place. In the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe 
and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.